You are listening to The Happy Gynecologist with your host, Amanda Miles, MD. Hey y'all, welcome back to The Happy Gynecologist, episode number 129, Freeze Mode. Okay, so this week, we are continuing our talks about survival mode. So welcome back, friend. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, (laughs) what we're doing is the last couple of episodes, um, we have talked about fight mode, flight mode. Today, we're talking about freeze mode um, because we are doing a survival mode series. And at some point, if you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, definitely go back and listen to those as well. But if you're here today, it doesn't matter. You don't have to listen in any particular order. So um, so don't worry about that. But at some point, go back and listen to the others if you've not listened because it's really important stuff, y'all. Okay, especially whenever we talk about just thriving as OBGYNs or <laughs> not being burnt out, okay? All four of these survival modes that we're discussing on the podcast in this series are super vital to know about, to recognize in yourself, um, and to recognize how they show up for you. Because if we can recognize these survival modes, if we can see how it's showing up for us, either you know day to day or in the past, then we can start taking steps to get out of survival mode. And so I, um, I want you to definitely uh, make sure that you hit all four of these episodes once they're done. Okay, so this week is freeze mode. That's our third in the survival series. We'll do fawn next week, which is the last of the series. Okay, but then we're going to be wrapping up with um, a webinar on April 15th at 9 a.m. Central. And it's a free live webinar that I do. We call them Coffee with Coach because we do them on Saturday mornings over coffee. We have a lot of fun. And um, we're going to be talking about how to get out of survival mode, because what we know is that, you know, whenever you're in survival mode due to the things going on at work or the things going on at home, even you're at risk of of starting to function there more and more and being in survival mode more and more, which then equates to burnout. Okay, so burnout comes from being exposed to chronic stress over and over again. And if you don't process those stressors in a way that signals your brain and your body that you are safe, you don't need to survive, then you just end up hanging out there, okay? So um, definitely, definitely come and hang out with us on April 15th so we can go through that as well, okay? Um, And you can register for that or for the replay if you can't make it live at coach-miles.com forward slash coffee. I'll put the link in the show notes, okay? Um, And so definitely join us, okay? It'll just be on Zoom. So as we talk about freeze mode today, I know that typically whenever we talk about freeze mode, what kind of comes to mind is like a deer in the headlights, okay? And what I want you to know is that the freeze mode is a little different than that because the deer in the headlights, that's actually, there is kind of like this acute Uh, phase right before we fight or flight where we kind of pause and assess the the threat and then decide whether we're going to run away from it or decide whether we're going to fight. And that is more of the deer in the headlights uh, freeze. What we're talking about today is more of a chronic long-term state. Okay, it's a hypo-aroused state, meaning like lower... um, like lower arousal, meaning your nervous system is in a lower state. Okay. Um, meaning like whenever, you know, you know, we're not like, like frozen, like 
so that we can decide whether to fight or flight and then have this big burst of energy, okay? The freeze response that we're gonna talk about today um, is like the other survival responses. It shows up on a wide spectrum and it can look like many, many things. But in the most basic terms, it is the response that our brains and bodies have to protect us when an oncoming injury is imminent or inescapable, okay? So it basically prepares our body for a impending assault or impending injury in the hopes that we survive it, okay? And so this is like an, a, um, a state where our, we, instead of like ramping up, instead of our nervous system ramping up, like our sympathetics and like we're going to, you know, shoot our heart rate and our blood pressure up, it's actually the opposite of that, okay? So it's the parasympathetic nervous system and our heart rate slows down like to 60 beats per minute. Our blood pressure goes down. Our blood is shunted from our extremities and our muscles um, to our vital organs um, to conserve <laughs> conserve blood in the case of a, a major injury in one of our limbs, right? Um, our brain actually will re release endogenous opioids and enkephalin so that we don't feel pain from the oncoming injury, okay? And so it's <laughs> it can also kind of help us in a way that is, you know, in a, the most primitive sense, um, I don't want to say play dead, but kind of like where I'm from, we say play possum, right? Where you, um, you faint and the, the oncoming, you know, predator thinks you're dead. So they don't attack you. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, works for possums, I guess, but, um, and so, so some people will faint in the most primitive sense of this response. They will, um, like I did in my pre-med years, <laughs> uh, whenever they see something stressful, faint. I did that whenever I was watching my first leap and whenever I saw blood for the first time um, and maybe for the first several times, actually, in my local OBGYN's office who was letting me shadow and like, bless her, she was so kind, probably thinking like, oh Lord, you're pre-med, huh? <laughs> but I had never been exposed to people and blood. I grew up on a farm, so I've been exposed to animals and, and like, you know, their injuries and vet care and that kind of stuff. Um, but whenever it came to um, a leap and like smelling, you know, you know, you kind of smell burning flesh, right? Like it's, it, it's part of the job right now. But, but back then that was kind of a shock almost to my system. I wasn't scared necessarily. My brain reacted before I even knew what was happening and I was going down, I was sliding down the back wall. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, I, I'm like all like try to recover, like feel like I can't even, you know, um, stand up and I feel super nauseous. It's like a vagal response, right? So a lot of times if we have like this vasovagal response, think about that. Like maybe it's a freeze response, but there are also... <laughs> So that's like in the most like primitive definition of freeze response. Okay. Um, so don't laugh at me because I was, I was that pre-med person. <laughs> oh, you can laugh if you want. I'm laughing too. So, um, but you know, remember now we are no longer cave people. Our stressors are different, right? 
instead of the saber-toothed tiger coming after us to eat us, we are facing chronic repeated stressors like a shoulder dystocia, followed by an ER hit with a bleeding ectopic, followed by the pager going off every 30 minutes all night long, (laughs) right? So it doesn't have to be like true physical danger for us to be involved in this response or in any of the survival responses, right? Remember, it just has to be a perceived threat or a perceived stressor, okay? That's all that matters is if it's it's perceived as a stress, okay? And so whenever we talk about the freeze response or freeze mode, I often think about the feeling of overwhelm. And I think that whenever, like we say we're overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, I'm just so overwhelmed. There's just so much to do. We just say it kind of blase, but true overwhelm is essentially the freeze response. Okay. Whenever we get truly overwhelmed, we shut down. We don't act. We, we take no actions actually. Like it's like, there are so many things we need to do or so many things pulling us in every direction and we just freeze right? We can't make another decision. We feel like we can't even function. We feel, maybe we feel trapped, right? Maybe we feel numb, right? Like we're just not, not upset. We're just numb, right? We may daydream a lot or zone out a lot or scroll our phones a lot, okay? We may find ways to zone out. We may feel like we're broken, have kind of a shameful, there's something wrong with me feeling. We may begin to feel hopeless. There's no way out. There's no hope. There's no other options. There's no choice. Okay. And we freeze. And so I think that, I think that overwhelm is another way of saying freeze response often when we're discussing burnout. And I know personally, I experienced a lot of overwhelm um, whenever I was burnt out. And that was probably one of the, the big ways it showed up for me. Um, and so I, I think, you know, whenever we're discussing burnout or you're reading about burnout, we hear a lot about emotional exhaustion where you feel exhausted all the time, even if you get adequate rest, right? I think that that's part of freeze mode. I really do. Um, and it, it can feel like you're sluggish, like you, are like walking in quicksand. I used to, I used to tell my nurse that, like, I just feel like I'm like, like trudging through quicksand or like, like mud. Like you're just like so slow walking in like, like wet sand. Um, maybe it may be another way to say that. Um, and you, you may have a hard time like getting started with things or getting up from your desk to go see the next patient, even though you know you need to because you're already running behind. Like you just sit there and you're like, I know I need to go. I just, I just need to sit here another minute or I just, I just can't like, oh, I don't want to go. I, I can't get up. I can't make myself like it's that kind of feeling of like whether you're saying that out loud or not, it's that feeling of having a hard time getting up from your desk, right? it can make you feel super drained. Um, Even if you're home and done with work, right? Maybe you get home and you have a hard time being with your family once you get home. Maybe you tend to just come in from work and kind of collapse onto the couch and zone out um, on Netflix or even just, I would zone out watching kid cartoons. I would like have the kids playing and just like zone out with like some Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Like I wasn't really watching it, but I was, but I wasn't interacting. I was just like zone out. 
And, you know, I, I remember hoping that my family wouldn't really talk to me. <laughs> you know, I hear people say this all the time, like, I'm just all talked out, right? I just need, I just need to go sit in the quiet. I just want some solace. I'm, I'm like overstimulated almost. Like, I just need things to, to not talk to me. I need everybody to not, not need me. I need everybody to not ask me to make a decision, right? And also, as we talk about freeze mode, I think it's super important to discuss a concept that is sometimes talked about with burnout, which is called learned helplessness. And it sounds like a really negative thing, like a kind of like a diss, like like a like an insult. Like if if I say that we as physicians have learned helplessness, like it sounds like an awful thing, like a shameful thing. But what learned helplessness is is this concept, which I think does show up frequently in burnout. But I consider it to be related to freeze mode. Okay, and what learned helplessness is, it. Um, it was kind of discovered or or proven to be a thing um, after some famous studies on German shepherds. And it's this really sad and terrible study, especially if you're a dog lover, where they did this experiment. They had three groups of dogs. I, I've briefly talked about it here and there um, in, in, I think, some of my Coffee with Coach webinars um, and I think a previous podcast. But they had these three groups of dogs and at first they just put all the dogs in like a dog harness and it it made it where like they could move their legs and they could kind of move around but they couldn't like walk around right like they're just like standing in place and the first group of dogs was kind of just immobilized and then they were let out of their harness and the dogs ran around like nothing happened is what they observed okay and then the second and third group of dogs these poor german shepherds <laughs> were immobilized in their harness and the second and third group were administer administered electric shocks however both of the second and third group group two and group three uh, you know these groups of dogs they had a lever in front of them and when um, the group two pushed the lever, it stopped the shock. Okay. But in group three, the lever did nothing. So the group two dogs learned pretty quickly that they're standing in their harness, they get a shock. Okay. They learned pretty quickly that if they press the lever, the shock would stop and they would do just that. They would press the lever and this, the shock would stop. The group three dogs, remember their lever does nothing they would press their lever, nothing changed. They would continue to be shocked. And so after a couple of times, the group three dogs, they would try a couple of times, but then they would just stop bothering. They wouldn't press it anymore because it did nothing, okay? So they took the group two and the group three dogs, these poor dogs that were getting shocked. They took these same dogs and they took them out of the harnesses and then they placed them in a small stall. And it had this like, little partition down the middle that was just a few inches high. So it's kind of separated in half. And on one half of the partition um, was a floor that would shock the dog and one half was a floor that would not. And so they were placed on the side of the partition that administered a continuous electric shock. And so the dogs that were in group two that had learned that they could press the lever and stop the shock 
they would simply hop over the partition and escape the shocky floor and be on the safe floor. Okay. They were like, yeah, no big deal. Let me just step over this and I'm good. The dogs in group three that had previously learned that the shock was unavoidable and that their lever did nothing and that they had no control over their shock, those dogs were placed on the shocky floor and they did not attempt to escape. They did not attempt to step over the little short partition. I mean, a few inches high for a German Shepherd. They could just take a step over it. They didn't even try. Um, They didn't try to hop over it. They didn't even do anything. They curled up and whined and continued to receive the electric shock, the continuous electric shock, which is so sad. Like I'm having a hard time even like saying that, but um, they had what we call learned helplessness. They learned that nothing they did would stop the shock. So it's best not to try. And likely they were retreating within to some version of freeze mode, right? So it's my best guess, or I can make a lot of assumptions here. This is by no means scientific with any evidence that I have, but I can assume that they had retreated inward and, you know, their brains have released some, hopefully some endogenous opioids so that they don't feel as much pain and they would just curl up and lay down. And as we record this, you can probably hear my own German shepherd in the background. (laughs) Oh, goodness. She doesn't know how good she has it, (laughs) y'all. These poor German shepherds they studied. So, you know, in medicine, especially if we're burnt out, we can often begin to feel this way, which is part of freeze mode. We may start to think, like, I'm just a cog in the wheel. I'm just a pawn that makes the hospital money. Um, we can get into a cycle where we are overworking and feeling so overwhelmed that it feels like we've lost all control and that the stress will just keep coming no matter what. Like it's unavoidable. It's inescapable. Nothing I do matters. Okay. We have heard that before because that's also one of the, you know, the, the features of burnout as we typically define it where we have this sense of ineffectiveness in our work, where we lose the ability to recognize our accomplishments or the difference that we are making or that our work matters. And so I think that, you know, I've told you guys that before, that I had this sense that I had lost all control. And I frequently tell people, I felt like I was on a runaway train that I couldn't get off of. And that was really a... A common theme for me. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is I would be overbooked to start the day and because I had no boundaries. And then if I had to do a C-section or if the ER called and patients had to be moved, there was nowhere to put them. And so, you know, the next day and the next day and the next day were already overbooked. So me moving patients was, you know, this kind of snowball effect. Um, or I would you know, come back and just be so far behind that I would just like spiral. And so I felt like no matter what I did, the amount of work I, I still had to do got worse and worse and worse and worse, right? It just like snowballed, got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I got to the point of feeling so overwhelmed that I didn't think that there was any point. I would not care if people were upset. I would not care if we had already moved them once. I would 
I would just like look for any way to escape. Okay. And that was probably the flight mode for me. Um, and it got to the point too, where I didn't think there was any point in trying to tell my employer that I was struggling. I thought that nothing could be done. There was no way to fix this. Um, I remember feeling so exhausted and so spent even before I started the day. Um, and I remember feeling like I couldn't get started. Um, my, my nurse, I'm embarrassed to say this. I think I've probably told you all before, but my nurse would call me, you know, 10, 15 minutes after the start of clinic time to tell me like, Miles, you have to come in the building now. I can see you sitting out there in your truck. Come in, get to work. You know, like she would be like in a very loving way. Of course she would, she was like, come on, let's go. You know, cause she could just see me sitting there. She could see me out the window. And it was just hard for me to get moving. And I think that a lot of that was really that freeze mode, right? We call it emotional exhaustion. We call it a feeling of ineffectiveness, whatever you want to call it. It's probably freeze mode, y'all. It's like this learned helplessness that there's nothing I can do that will stop the continuous shocks. So why even try? I just want to curl up. (laughs) I just want to curl up and, and die is really what these poor German shepherds were probably thinking. And I relate to that. (laughs) There were definitely times I felt like that. Uh, So, you know, the, the end point though, you know, whenever I made the decision to leave, it took me a long time to come to that realization, probably longer than it should have. Um, And I know that there are many docs out there that may be going through this that think that like they cannot leave. Like, absolutely no, I cannot leave because of my contract or because of my student loans (laughs) or because my husband works here and he would have to find another job and that's not fair to him. Or my kids are in school. It's not fair to them if I leave this job in the middle of the year. And I thought all of those things too for a while. I really did. I thought I had no choice and that it was completely impossible to leave and that I was trapped receiving the continuous shocks over and over. (laughs) And, you know, that's like now as a coach, that's the situation or the, the line that I hear, the thoughts that I hear that I worry about the most. When someone comes to me and they tell me I don't have any control and I can't leave And I don't have any hope that it's going to improve. When the day-to-day stress just keeps coming and you don't feel you have control over it, it it can be very easy to fall into this mindset. And that's just how freeze mode shows up for us. Like we aren't consciously just like deciding like, well, I'm going to think this today, right? The mindset of not having options or choice or control, I think is part of freeze. And you know, the reason for that is likely because that whenever we're in freeze mode, we're down in our primitive brain. <laughs> we cannot access that upper level brain that has the the components to think creatively. Um, you know, the prefrontal cortex has all the creative thinking, right? And so we're not even functioning from that place. We cannot access it when we're in any of these survival modes, right? So we might truly be unable to make a great decision, or any decision, we might be unable to even access other options or think of other solutions that are stored in our higher levels of brain or where those those kind of creative thinking, solutions-focused thinking um, is stored, right? But the interesting thing that I want you to know, okay, and 
I just think that this is super interesting is whenever they learned, whenever the learned helplessness was studied in humans, whenever we studied the same thing that they studied on these poor German shepherds in humans, they didn't use electric shocks, but what they did um, really showed that having a choice and feeling like you have some control was a huge, a huge factor in how well people did. Okay. And so in one of these studies, they essentially took two groups of people and they asked them to perform some mental tasks in the presence of a distracting, annoying noise. Okay. And so not a shock, but a really annoying noise. Okay. One group had a switch. Um, they both had switches, but one group had a switch that could turn off the noise. The other group had a switch that did nothing. The first group who could use the switch to turn off that noise, surprisingly, rarely bothered to do so as they did these mental tasks, okay? So even though they could turn off the noise, they didn't actually always do it, um, but they knew that they had that option, okay? The second group was just stuck with the annoying noise and flipping the switch did nothing, right? And so I just find this so interesting because the first group that had that switch that could turn the noise off, they didn't use the switch much, but turns out they actually performed better in their mental tasks than those who could not turn off the noise, okay? So what is so interesting about this is that by simply being aware that they had the choice and that they could control the distracting noise, just that awareness alone was enough to substantially counteract the noise's effect on how they performed. So that being said, I want every single one of you out there to realize that you always, always, always are in control of what you do. You are in control of what you choose to do every day. You get to decide that. No one is making you get out of bed <laughs> and go to work. You decide to do that every day because you want to avoid living in a van down by the river, like I say. And just because it seems like there are no other options, there are always other solutions out there. And I honestly think that this is the power of coaching because it helps us focus on those solutions and find those solutions rather than just shutting our mind down by saying, well, I don't have a choice. I have to stay here. Because even if that is true, we always have a choice. Like even if your job is terrible and toxic and uh, just this awful job, we always have a choice of how we show up despite what's going on at work. Okay. So even if you haven't decided to leave yet, if you do have, you know, a situation like that or you don't think you can leave, how do you want to choose to show up for yourself day in and day out despite your job's flaws, despite medicine being what it is right now, right? So we have that choice for ourselves and we are in control of ourselves, okay? So I think that it's, always important to start recognizing freeze mode for yourself. And this is only part of the reason, you know, all of this, you know, I could talk about this all day long, probably. But the more awareness that you have around how freeze mode or any of these survival modes show up for you, the more that you can start to realize that you have the control, you have the option to stop that annoying noise. Okay, you are in control of that. And you know, as we wrap up, if this hits home for you, I want you, or if any of these survival mode podcasts have hit home for you, I want you to plan on joining me on April 15th, 9 a.m. 
for the how to get out of survival mode uh, webinar. Okay. So if this hit home for you, I want you to do that because we are going to be talking about some truly life, life-changing stuff. We are going to be talking about how to recognize, you know, or, you know, how to recognize this briefly. We're going to kind of wrap that up, right? But mostly we're going to be focusing on how to start addressing survival mode, how to get out of survival mode, how to show your brain and your body that you don't need to be in that survival mode anymore. And so you can start to feel like your normal badass self again. Okay. So, but you have to go register if you want to come or if you want to get the replay. Okay. So go to coach-miles.com forward slash coffee. So you can come hang out with me on the 15th. All right, y'all. We will talk again next week. And I want you to know there's always hope. I promise there is. And we need you here. So if you identify with this, definitely make plans to to come and join us on the 15th. Okay. All right, friends. I love you all. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always get more free help from me by going to my website, www.coach-miles.com and clicking on free resources. If this work has helped you and you're interested in learning more about getting out of burnout and up-leveling your life as an OBGYN, definitely check out my six-month coaching program, The Happy Gynecologist Group. You can always get more information on my website, coach-miles.com.